up, mama? Hey, Rob, what's up? How you doing? I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm not bad. I'm enjoying the weather. Yeah, it's been a little wonky. Got some rain. It's a little warm, but still cool. Like fall, crisp, cool. I'm glad it's not feeling as wintry as it was before a couple of days ago. Yeah, a lot of people was catching this snow in their different states. But you know what time it is. It's the holiday season. It is upon us. So it's basically 2020 next week. Can you believe it? Time is going by. I'm ready. And I know that it's because we um, are in daylight savings that the days are shorter. But it's really still messing with me. Um, <laughs> just with scheduling and everything else. Me too. I be thinking I'm rushing and I look at the time. I'm like, what? It's still early. Yeah, at 5 o'clock, it's, it looks like it's 8, like a strong 8 p.m. That's right, folks. It is episode 31. Last episode, we talked about what it means to be an introvert or introverted. Check that out to see if you, too, could be an introvert or, you know, have some introverted ways about you. I'm Angela the mom. And I'm Roger the daughter, and this is Talking Brown Sugar. We do have some random thoughts in the sugar bowl. Yes, this is the time of season online shopping, so enjoy it while you can. The taxes will be added 2020. Watch your people, watch your credit cards, watch the hackers, check your, you know, your tracking, or send your gifts to your job. Someone else's address. Do you check your ratings at your restaurants, hotel, etc.? Because you'd be surprised. You think you'd be getting some good deals, seeing the ratings, and you'd be wondering why you might not know you might have bed bugs or how these little critters got home. Or if you go in your favorite restaurant and they might have a B rating, but you know what? The food's still good. But for since it's the season, check your ratings on everything. I have definitely been to um, an acclaimed four-star hotel that was three-star service and maybe a solid two-and-a-half stars. Yeah, because I've been to a good restaurant, and I don't mean no harm. They got good food, but they they rated and scary. You're like, what is this I'm really getting? This is two days ago fried chicken? It's interesting. I think a lot of businesses can... Um, hike up their prices solely because of location, because they're in a good location, so they mark it up, and people assume that more quality comes with things that are more expensive. I feel like that's still a thing that um, consumers have, and I think a lot of businesses are still betting on it, especially when you're in places like ours that are high growth um, at, at such a rapid pace, because there are people who are coming from places where it, you know, it is even more expensive than what it currently is priced at. So for some, like the new people, it's a deal. And then for everybody else who's been in the area, oh, this must be the good stuff because it costs more. Yeah, and check, see if they got their Surf Safe Awards. Now I'm trying to knock nobody. Yeah, the certificates. Yeah, it's awards. Just make sure they, you know, know about their business and making sure you're safe. Want everybody to be happy and safe. Yep, um... Yeah, be safe when you go shopping during the 
black shopping season because they say black friday but you know some stores are now opening their doors on thursday so just be safe um go in pairs if you can if you don't really have to go no need to go no need to go into debt if you don't have to there are plenty other ways to show your love Sugar Cubes, a.k.a. the news, where you put a little sugar in your cup. After being denied a school picture because of her hairstyle, a third grader gets a high fashion picture day. Eight-year-old Miranda Scott, excuse me, correction, Miriam Scott, who was denied an opportunity to take a school picture after her red extension embellished braided top knot was deemed in the violation of the dress code. At the Pagram's Charter Academy in Jackson, Michigan. To be fair, the Academy's handbook says students' hair color must be natural tone to get their pictures taken. Unaware of the rules, Marion's parents were confused by the fact that the, by the while, excuse me. <laughs> We're confused by the fact. Excuse me. Was confused by the fact while their daughter was restricted from taking a photo. She was allowed to return to class. They have since removed Miriam from the school. Miriam's story was included as an emotional response from her father. The third grader's own account of crying and feeling singled out. It's so sad. At the time of the exclusion, went viral. In addition to garnering national attention, the report inspired action from dozens of photo- photographers who sympathized with Marion's experience and wanted to transform it into something truly special after she reported feeling like she lost her self-esteem due to the incident, according to the WILX. I couldn't feel it. I could feel it, go. I can feel it go, she said, polar baby. Being a delightful development in their initial story on Friday, that Marion had become the star of the series of the photo shoots granted by photographers moved by her story, including Jermaine Horton of Jermaine's Horton Photography, who drove from Chicago to capture the third grader and her red extensions in a colorful age-appropriate new wardrobe donated to her by Joy Entertainment and Event Management, and Mika Joy, CEO of Rich Girl Candy. That's nice. It was fun. You got to pose and change clothes and got to be yourself, said Miriam, at her first modeling experience. What a delight. Now, what y'all feel about it? What you feel about that, Rock? I think... um they didn't have to dismiss her. Plenty of times, children have had photos taken where they edited out certain things or added in a tooth or something crazy. They could have toned down just her bun color to make it like a natural tone if they wanted to. Or, like, put a... I don't know. She still could have taken her picture, and they could have just sent a letter home saying that she would have to um, go to the retake day like they usually do when your pictures don't come out right. Well, I had an incident one time when one of my youngest children went to school. Most of the time it's braids. I decided to pick his hair out in a full afro because this is what the pictures I wanted. 
But when my child got to school, I was in the hallway. The principal did delight me and let me know that um, this doesn't look school appropriate. I said, well, I'm paying for the pictures. But there was no clause in the dress code for our pictures. Moving along. Dogs can smell fear, but can they sniff out the truth? Your dog might actually be smarter than you're giving it credit for. It turns out dogs are pretty good at picking up on human behavior. Science says so. A team led by Akiko Takoka of Kyoto University in Japan conducted a study which found out that dogs actually know if you're to be believed or not. The study involved tricking dogs in the name of science. Humans have known for a long time that if you point an object, a dog will run to it. Researchers utilize information their study. During the experiment, they pointed at a container that was filled with hidden food. Sure enough, the dog ran towards the container. Then they pointed at a container that was empty. The dog ran towards it, but found that it had no food. The third time, the researchers pointed at a container with food. The dogs refused to go to the container. They knew the person was pointing wasn't reliable based off their previous experience. 34 dogs were used in their experiment, and every single dog wouldn't go towards the container the third time. The experiment either proves the dogs can spot a liar, that the dogs have major trust issues. In other words, if you lie to your dog, your dog forms the opinion that your word isn't good and will behave accordingly. Dogs have more sophisticated social intelligence than we thought. The social intelligence involved selectively in their long life history with humans, said Tanaka, who was also surprised that the dogs were quick when they devolved the reliability of humans. That happens a lot. Yep. In conclusion of that, I'm a witness. My dog would go crazy when we had a family member that she never met. He hadn't even came to my home. And she would just go ham if she seen him. She would go through the curtains and just go crazy. And I would wonder, who was this she going crazy about? Her head would stand up on the back of her head. Finally, she ended up meeting my cousin. And she was really fearful. She didn't like him. So we always wonder why the dog chases the mailman, the garbage man, or whoever. And I've had other instances when a guest came over to my home. And she would just, just bark, bark, and just act crazy. Never met the person. So that one incident. Yes, if this is more of an opinion uh, piece, but I agree. If you're rude to the people that handle our food, we can't be friends or date. Because what I don't need is someone spitting in my food or dropping it on the ground because you're nasty to them. As Popeyes rolled out their chicken sandwich again, our timeline has been flooded with incidents of why fast food workers should get paid more. The disrespect, chaos, physical, social racism they ha- they've had to deal with over the past two weeks has been sad to watch. As someone who used to work in fast food and have friends that have, the last thing you want to do is get rude with folks that are handling your food. The industry can be especially rough if you're a person of color. In a study, both black and white patrons at moderately priced Midwestern restaurants tip black servers less than their white counterparts. 
This disparity was found in spite of the fact that patrons reported being more pleased with black servers' work, considering the fact that tips make up more than half of a waiter's income, at least according to a 2012 study, this is more than a symbolic slight. It suggests that black servers on average take home significantly less than their white colleagues. In an article for Metro UK, a a restaurant owner noticed his black employees also got more complaints and were seen as lazy or angry even when doing the job perfectly well. When he hired an African-American man, the manager said that he did not think of race or for a second and felt the man was competent for the job. However, the poster Noticed the black waiter was getting a lot more complaints about his professional conduct even when he was carrying out out of work related tasks. It was when that it was that then that the manager realized the customers were treating the employee differently because of his race. He has been by no means incompetent in his job, the manager said. However, complaints about his service has been disproportionate compared to all of our other servers. Example, that kid over there is talking to someone when he should be bringing out our drinks. Well, okay, that someone is the business owner, and when I checked the ticket, they had been waiting for their drinks for about two minutes. They got their drinks about 30 seconds later. Example two, someone flagging me down about a server standing there doing nothing. It was him putting in a large order at another terminal there have been about six or so instances of this month in the past two months and you know what's common about these complaints they're all coming from boomer generation white men (laughs) the manager recalled one incident where a white couple even refused to look at the black server in the eye and opted to speak to a white waiter instead with that being said you don't want to piss these folks off uh, posted examples of the worst wait staff and cooks that had done to the food of root customers. Here's one of them. The last coffee shop I worked at would do some pretty crazy things. We were all pretty disgruntled, which isn't too hard to believe since we were mostly younger people with college educations who couldn't find a job in the field we wanted to work in. A few of us um, would keep expired milks in a special part of the refrigerator that we would use in customers' drinks when they were being a-holes. We had expired regular milks and almond soy, almond and soy, which take a while to expire, so we just used ones that wouldn't refrigerate for days at a time. We figured that if someone ever got sick or gave us hell for it, it would be like we mistakenly kept some sour milk around. So, yeah, if you're going to be rude to folks that deal with our food, we can't go out, we can't be friends, we can't date. Not only because of the way our food will be treated, but because of the way you treated another person who was trying to do their job while not getting paid enough to do it. I agree with that 100%. I do, too. I've had experience being the first black hostess at a family-filled buffet restaurant that was opening up. And people was waiting for the hostess. And I'm like, I'm the hostess. So I called the manager. He came and he asked me what was the problem. I said, these people were looking for the hostess. He kindly said, this is your new hostess. And he asked them, were they going to eat or leave? And you know what? I sat them down and they had a good evening. Yeah, I've worked in fast food, um, definitely dealt with some racism. I've worked in even, 
I feel like as cashiering or any jobs that deal with customer service as a person of color, you have to deal with people who are going to be racist or just buttholes just because they want to be or they're having a bad day. And they think, you know, someone who makes less than them is well deserving of less than respect. Um, but I, I definitely cannot stand somebody who's going to be rude to food service people. Especially because I, I believe food service is some of the worst of the worst. Even, you know, fast food restaurants like McDonald's, Chick, Chick-fil-A, especially Popeye's we've seen in the stores. Somebody had brought their child to work um, in the kitchen. Baby had on an apron and everything um, to help out because they were short-staffed at Popeye's. And it's just crazy how people are treating people. Just because they assume the job is a lowly task, but you have to be skilled to run those timers, handle grease, flinging grease and hot foods, and handling people with a smile and care and precision. Because you know how sensitive people can get about food that they paid for with their hard-earned dollars. Um, but if we're on a date, hanging out, friends, whatever, you're rude to food service people. Yeah, no need. And I feel like as black patrons, we also have that thing where. And not just black patrons, but millennial groups and some people who think like us will tip higher just because we are aware of how disproportionately people who receive tips as a main piece of their wages are affected. So we might tip more. So I know as black people, too, we might get bad service, but we still tip good because we don't want to look like we don't tip as a people because, you know, we know that. As a group, if one of us does something bad, it's applied to us as a group much more um, blanketly than some other groups. So it's just, like, interesting to think about all those things happening at one time. So true. But you know how I feel about those tips. Sometimes you got to earn it dealing with me. But I try to do, when I see my people, I try to tip well. Yeah, I mean, but we you you tip you tip, um, your baseline tip is pretty good. And it's just like people can either add more or just like the baseline tip based on how their service is. I think you should you can be tipped um accordingly. And you know, sometimes we might be like, well, she, she is busy, so you cut them a little slack. But if you're rude and you're talking to us like you know we're not going to tip. Don't try me. You can say it again. LeBron James announces transitional housing for families of students at his promise school. The NBA star said his initial focus was to help kids learn, but that's impossible when their families are struggling. So LeBron is definitely um, going a step above and beyond with the promise school. He's now helping with transitional housing, housing, providing housing for families in need um, of students at his promise school in Akron, Ohio, according to CNN. The Midwest native said that the transitional housing community would benefit families struggling with homelessness homelessness, and um, domestic violence. Initially, our work was focused on helping these kids earn an education, but we found that it is impossible to help them learn if they are struggling to survive, if they are hungry, if they have no heat in the freezing winter, if they live in fear for their safety, James said. We wanted to we wanted this place to be their home where they feel safe, supported, and loved, knowing we are right there with them every step of the way as they get back on their feet. The new initiative will be in collaboration with Graduate Hotels, which will renovate an apartment building with 
about five blocks away from the school. Graduate Hotels currently operates boutique hotels in college towns. The I Promise Village by Graduate Hotels will be a monumental step for us and LeBron and his foundation's commitment to the future of students and their families, said Graduate Hotels founder CEO Ben Whippen in a statement. It's humbling to see the change they're affecting on a daily basis and we're honored to be a part of the journey. After construction is complete on the 22-unit apartment building, which is set to begin immediately, it will be donated to the school according to the 34-year-old's foundation, the LeBron James Family's Foundation. The school, which opened in 2018, houses at-risk third and fourth graders with plans to expand to eighth grade by 2022. Sports Illustrated reported the students have also been guaranteed free tuition to the University of Akron upon graduation. James shared his excitement about the new opportunity on Twitter. Proud of this, multiple exclamation points. There's always more to be done when it comes to giving my kids an opportunity to be successful in life. Every barrier we remove can possibly change their family's life, and we're never going to stop the tweet read. Um, the apartment building is expected to be ready in July of head of, ahead of the new school year. That's amazing. Uh, when we think about how solutions are created um, to fix the larger scale issues that uh, our youth are facing, um, it has to be at multi-different facets Um because a child can do better when the school is more focused, has a greater student-to-teach ratio. But if that child is still going home to chaos, uncertainty, hunger, like he was saying, um, fear for their safety, how can they focus at school when you're worried about if, you know, mom or dad or anybody is going to come up missing or hurt, you know, or if you're going to get hurt when you go home, you know? It can take away everything that the school itself is doing. Um, so I think that's huge that um, LeBron James Foundation and the hotel can, was it the, graduate hotels um, were able to do and provide housing for them. Um, so this definitely I feel is taking a systematic approach to solving the issues those kids are facing and um that's something that could definitely be replicated in different cities and states where our children are struggling and then outside of school. You see it happening, you see different organizations that are trying to tackle different issues in different ways. Um I definitely think there could be some consolidation or some more partnering happening to solve some of these issues. I applaud them because it it has some big shoes to fill. Like they say, it starts at home, but sometimes some people don't have nobody to speak up for them, and they come to school trying to learn. But if you at a desk, you haven't had a bath, or you had to dress yourself with no lights, it's good to have somebody know that they're caring about you. That makes you want to strive and say, I can do this. I can read this book. I can study. I got a home to go to. Yeah, I'm just I'm just amazed at how... Um, from point eight, like this is the A to Z plan that's still in development. We don't know, like he said, it's still expanding. Um, because like he was pointing out, um, once kids graduate from his primary school, they are automatically guaranteed tuition free college education. So that not is it's not saying that they have to go, but it's definitely um 
supported by studies that show like you have a college education or some kind of uh, post high school education that you do go on to earn more. So he's setting up just like a ladder for the kids to climb as high as they want to climb. So it's just a huge thing to me, and I hope um, he's able to continue the foundation and continues to have support and that it can expand and that um, this could be something that is replicated in the organizations that are doing things here in our state. Like they can start to partner um, a little bit more and better. I know they have been, but I've seen some of the drama and fallout with different organizations who wants to take credit for this or, you know. Right. Anthony Mackie says being given the helm of Captain America as a black man is very emotional. Marvel Cinematic Universe star Anthony Mackie, who is set to reprise his role as Sam Wilson, a.k.a. Falcon, in the upcoming Disney Plus series, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, has opened up about exactly what it's like for him to be the new wielder of Captain America's shield. In an interview for Deadline, Mackie was asked what exactly it's like to carry such an iconic symbol around with him. You know what? To be honest, it's very emotional, he replied. I've been in the business for 20 years, and I've been fortunate enough to do some amazing stuff and work with amazing people. For me to be a black man in 2019 and given the helm of Captain America with the history of black men in this country is a monumental step, not only in entertainment, but also in my life. It's been extremely emotional, Mackie continued. Look, my grandfather was a sharecropper. You know what I mean? There's a lot of history and pain and triumph and joy that comes along with me being Captain America. Mackie made his MCU debut as Sam Wilson Falcon in the film, the 2014 film Captain America the Winter Soldier. He subsequently reprised his role in The Avengers Age of Ultron, Ant-Man, Captain America Civil War, Avengers Infinity War, and Avengers Endgame. As Endgame drew to a close, an elderly Steve Rogers effectively retired as Captain America passing the red, white, and blue vibranium shield to Sam. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier rejoin Sam and Sebastian Stan's Bucky Barnes Winter Soldier, who are left to deal with in-game's aftermath. Directed by Kari Skolin, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier stars Anthony Mackie, Sebastian Stan, Emily Van Camp, Wyatt Russell, and Daniel Bruley, and will be available on Disney Plus in the fall 2020. I'm just excited too. I can't wait to see it. I applaud them because I feel the excitement too. It's emotional. Yeah, that in, that scene in Endgame was really touching. Um, it was sweet, and you could see the emotion on his face when, you know, that <gasps> he took over. Um, he's gonna be the new Cap, so it'll be interesting to see how that role will be used and uh, what role race may play in the films. That could be coming in the future. And I know in the comic books, Captain America is a black man. So, you know, it would be cool to see how that comes into play, too. I guess I'll be getting me a shirt. No, rip your stores and everything. But yes, let us know what you think in the comments. Today's Sweet Deets is brought to you by K-Max Catering. Bold and soulful taste. Connect with Kanika Robinson via phone 919-524-0313 
or at email kmaxcatering18 at gmail.com. She helps prepare anything you need for parties, banquets, social events, and so much more. Definitely contact her to add bold, soulful taste to your next event. That's KMAX Catering with Kanika Robinson. Want us to promote your business and our next Sweet Deets? Mention, email us, talkingbrown.sugar at gmail.com, where the subject line business feature with a few sentences about your business, product, or service, there is room for everyone to eat. Also, don't forget to find us online at Facebook and Instagram. Find us at Talking Brown Sugar on Twitter at Talking Brown Sugar. That's Talking Brown S U G. You can also email us, talkingbrown.sugar at gmail.com. Hit us up with your sweet deeds, comments about the show, or if you would like to be a special guest on our show. Yes. Wellness check. This holiday season, keep your peace. And if you know Aunt Charlene is going to ask where your boo is, or Uncle Charlie is going to ask about your third to-go plate, you don't have to go. Save your peace, put it in your pocket, and don't go. Or another happy alternative is Friendsgiving. But for anything happening this holiday season, if it will make you uncomfortable to be around family, you do not have to force yourself to go, especially if that is an option. Keep your peace this holiday season. This is Raja and Angela with some post-recording show notes. We just sat down with Natalie Murdoch for the main discussion she is currently serving as the Soil and Water Conservation District Supervisor in Durham County. And she will be running for North Carolina Senate in 2020. Enjoy the show. Enjoy. Yeah, my name is Natalie Murdoch, and I have a position that a lot of folks do not even know that we exist. I am a soil and water conservation district supervisor. That is a mouthful. So yes. I'm one of only yeah. four Black women in the state of North Carolina to hold that position. And essentially, we were created after the Great Depression. So after the Dust Bowl, we essentially had a lot of issues with just maintaining healthy soil and individuals got together and said, hey, you know, we need an organization that focuses on making sure, you know, we have um, proper soil health and where farmers can um, fellowship and network and get together to make sure that their needs are kept. And I also got into this field because imagine, you know, a world without soil or water. Good luck with that. You have to eat, you have to drink, Mm -hmm. you have to be connected to those two things to even live. And so it's a very critical function, um, overlooked function, but very critical. So we, um, one of the first versions of that, of that district was actually founded in North Carolina. And um, now we're nationwide. We have a national organization so that we can 
um, you know, at the local level as well as the state and federal level, make sure that these issues are taken care of properly. So we have soil and water conservation district supervisors across the entire state. Um, Tomorrow, I actually will be attending my area meeting in Franklin County, where I'll be networking with um, soil and water supervisors um, in multiple counties. And I think to kind of summarize some more work that we do, there are a lot of funds that you can access at the federal level, and we help to figure out how those funds are appropriated at the local level. And the reason that I'm so proud of the work that I do is making sure that more people of color get access to those federal dollars Mm -hmm. that typically they will not have access to if no one's there to advocate um, to make sure that we have a seat at the table and that we get access to the funds we need to farm, to keep our waterways clean, and to um, diversify um, crops. So later on, maybe we can touch on industrial hemp a little bit. So for folks that want to grow different and new things and specialty crops, people like me can help them uh, with getting that process started. Wonderful. That sounds exciting. Um, given uh, current trends and more awareness that is being brought to like environmental justice, uh, spe- mm-hmm. specifically for uh, communities of color um, and how they've okay. been act- impacted historically. So um, if you could talk a little bit more about that and any work you've done in that arena. Yes, environmental justice is a topic I am extremely passionate about. <laughs> Excuse me. And I actually fell and literally fell into the industry. I was uh, I had an internship when I was living in Asheville and it was in urban planning. And as a result of that, ended up getting into planning. And my first job in that area, in that arena was as a transportation planner. Mm-hmm. We were in the midst of updating our transportation plan. And when people talk about environmental justice, they forget that it really means any manner in which we kind of have a disproportionate impact on a marginalized community, which are often people of color um, and low-income communities. So urban renewal is the term that I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with. And essentially across the entire Southeast, across the entire nation, Mm -hmm. um, but particularly in the South, you would build highways that would really have an impact on um, Black and Brown communities. And so from Durham, North Carolina to Asheville, these Black communities are really decimated as a result of highway projects. So I was able to come in as a transportation planner um, the agency I worked with at the time, I was the first black planner in the history of that agency. Wow. And it made a real difference for me to go in these communities to let them know, hey, you might be impacted by this major highway project. And as a result of the work that we did in Asheville, we actually generated alternatives so that we wouldn't have as great of an impact on these African-American communities. So um, as it relates to agriculture, um, it's also impacted by these environmental um, justice um, problems. So oftentimes we don't have the access that we should have to resources. We um, have lost a lot of land. Um, as a result of just not having access to resources or literally being cheated out of land that was ours. You'll see farmers that will go to the bank and need a loan when they only needed to put up an acre of their land for the loan, but maybe the bank said we actually need three acres. So all sorts of things may happen, or you may Mm -hmm. sign over land, not even understanding what you're signing, and you sign over, you know, your land to to someone inadvertently. So um, a lot of environmental justice issues I come across in in the field of work that I do 
um, some other work that I'm just getting into as a result of a, a board that I serve on through Chapel Hill, our environmental justice issues and result in um, conjunction with climate change. Um, right. And I'll actually be on a panel about that on Friday. And people forget that a lot of these low lying flood prone areas are in the black community. They're in brown communities. And mm-hmm. so as sea levels rise and we continue to have storms after Florence and Michael last year, a lot of those black communities were impacted. And um, as local government leaders, we have to figure out how will we rebuild those communities because it's only going to get worse. We're only going to have more storms that are more and more severe. How will we continue to build back these communities and make sure um, they have the funding that they need to get these communities back on track? That is uh, so powerful. It uh, is. In necessary work. Um, in thank you. Um, so thank you for all that you do. And you mentioned that you were often the first Black woman or even the first person of color in your field, um, how has the response been either from communities or different organizations from the state or federal level um, when you are attempting to do your your job, essentially? What has the response been like? Um, Positive, negative, or how has that been? I think it's actually overwhelmingly been positive. I think when you are focused on what it is that you're trying to accomplish and you just kind of, you really don't focus on those negative um, stares you may get or people that may look at you in a different way. Mm-hmm. You really focus on the work that you're trying to do. And I think also as a woman and as a minority, sometimes people just don't see you coming. I think that they just kind of (laughs) overlook you and then you kind of go in there and do your work and get something done. And by the time it's done, it's too late for them to realize what it is that you were doing. And, um, you know, you just can go ahead and go in there and, and accomplish your goal, but it definitely is challenging. Planning as a whole is a field. A lot of people think planning means you plan events. (laughs) No, you plan highways, you plan um, communities, and it is a field that is, not very diverse. And a lot of planning schools are trying to do a better job of um, reaching out and um, recruiting people of color. But even, you know, right here in Durham, you know, I always talk with folks about if we really want to get serious about gentrification, you know, we have to diversify those agencies that are determining where buildings are being located and how we lay out our streets and who gets what resources. And so you have to have more um, diversity in all these fields to make sure that um, you aren't, you know, having an impact on um, on, a, on a specific community. So you really just keep at it. And also you can't do it without mentors and, and people helping you along the way. Right. I definitely didn't accomplish anything on my own. And so finding people within those agencies that I could utilize as a resource and that would be an advocate for me was critical to my success as well. Awesome. I, I applaud to you because, you know, it's groundbreaking. It's really groundbreaking. <laughs> Thank you. And just to hear it, I'm just like overwhelmed. Just like getting back to the farmers, Mm -hmm. black farmers, they have been hit so much. Like, yeah, looking at what we're going through, they can't even get money to, like you say, after these floods and things like that. They can't get no proceeds to help them out to live because their crops are so damaged they can't sell. You know, I'm glad to be aboard to see all this impact that happens to them. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. They just, um, there was a, a few months back, there was an article in the, in, I think the Washington Post, where, you know, they were getting bad seeds, you know, African Americans were getting bad seeds. And mm-hmm. um, also the National Black Farmers Association, their chair, he just penned an article 
um, that I believe ran in the Guardian where he admitted that he has an in-law that he trusts that is not African-American and he will work through him to get his product sold because he'll get more money if that in-law sells it opposed to him going to market and selling it. So yeah, there there's so much discrimination in that field and unfortunately we're down to owning less than 2% of farms nationally. Mm-hmm. I did not know that number was that low until I got more active in this field and for me it's really personal. My grandfather was a farmer and I just envision him. I, you know, I do the work thinking about the resources that he wished that he had and his love for farming and um, the way that he just wasn't able to continue to do it because he didn't have the resources that he needed. So he ended up leaving his farm. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you work with any of the co-ops that you know, like get vegetables and other items from farmers, local farmers? <laughs> Yes, yes. Not, um, I'll probably be doing more work in the future, but kind of at the 5,000 foot level mm-hmm. here in Durham County and other, um, soil and water boards have done the same thing. We try to help people to connect the dots. So if individuals want to diversify their market and kind of know what's going to sell better at a co-op, we can connect them to the right people. So we hosted a forum for that right here um, in Durham, not only with co-ops, but with restaurants and essentially all farmers are looking for a market. And so anything that we can do to connect investors to buyers to farmers, that is what we're trying to do to make sure that we are providing everyone with the resources that they need so that everyone can be successful in this field. Great. Another question, like you just said, trying to reach out to the community to let them know how they can apply themselves or come to meetings. What do you think that more people need to do? More advertising? I mean, things are being advertised, but what's your idea on that? Actually, we can do a better job. Something that I was talking with about, particularly with our district, is because of the diversification of our district. Mm -hmm. That is why the information gets out better than it does, but we still can always do a better job. Sometimes we'll have funds available and, you know, we won't have as diverse of an applicant pool as we hope. So it shows us we've got to continue to do a better job. So we're always going back to the drawing board to figure out how we can take the information to the people that need to hear it the most to make sure that we aren't talking to you know, just one or two farmers that were really reaching out to organizations that serve a lot of different types of farmers. So we're always challenging ourselves to do that and um, going to where people are. You know, I've, I've been in public involvement work for years and I've learned you can't simply post something on a website or send an email mm-hmm. and think that people are going to be responsive. You really do have to to go to to where the people are because word of mouth is, is very powerful. And if all of your set mm-hmm. your staff only, you know, looks one way and, you know, then the information isn't going to get out to all the different communities that really are in need of those resources and that funding. Amazing. Um, so when you say we could do a better job, is there a way like an average community person can get involved to support your efforts, your organization's efforts? Like what can the average person do? Like our, one of our listeners, what can they do to help support your work? Yes, there are multiple things that they can do every first Monday at 5.30 p.m., the Soil and Water Board, um, Conservation Board, we meet um, right downtown um, Durham. So on Main Street, we are in Administration Building 2. They also can come to our office at any time, and we will be sure to direct to put, point you in the right direction. If people want to reach out to me directly on social media, all of my handles are Natalie, N-A-T-A-L-I-E, for F-O-R-N-C. And um, on Twitter or Instagram, folks can reach out to me. I get 
request all the time. Also, the Durham County Soil and Water District is also on Facebook. So if people want to send us a Facebook message, they can do that as well. They also can reach out to, if they're only interested in agriculture, your local cooperative extension. Every county, no matter who's listening, every county has a cooperative extension in all 100 counties of North Carolina. So that local agent will also connect you with the right resources. Um, They also have something called Master Gardeners at those locations. So if you just want to get started and say, I don't even know how to start a garden and try to, you know, grow my own tomatoes and sweet potatoes, Mm -hmm. a master gardener will be able to help you out with that. And they'll even test your soil and do an analysis to say, this is what you should be growing in your own backyard. That is great. I'm yeah. I'm interested in the one about my own backyard. Um, Yeah. That's just something you don't think about um, day to day. What could be living in your own yard. um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Absolutely. Go outside and just get your own your own corn. <laughs> yeah. That's something to consider. Our neighbors um, have a large um, garden, so we get lots of crazy animals, but that's something to look into for sure. Yes, very true. Very true. Animals will come. <laughs> mm-hmm. So looking into the future, what are um, like three priorities or challenges, um, things you would like to tackle in the future, like next five to 10 years? Yeah, so the next um, adventure, you know, life is all about the journey. And I was really led to run for North Carolina State Senate. Luckily, because of working in the community, a number of community members and local leaders also encouraged me to run for North Carolina State Senate. And so the reason that I'm running is we just need more voices at the table. Um, Our General Assembly could definitely use different voices, primarily voices of women, voices of women of color and voices of millennials. And so Um, We currently do not have any General Assembly members that are under 40, that are African-American, that are women. So um, that is a big reason why I'm running. And um, also just to make sure that everyone that is in need is really being heard. You know, so I'm running because as a result of the public involvement work that I've done, I'm just shocked at our inability to really um, connect people to the resources that they need and we can always do better. We're on the verge of a recession and I can't tell you how many more um, homeless individuals I see that just need help and assistance. So as far as priorities, um, homelessness is definitely a major priority for me. Um, I definitely want to make sure we have better resources here in Durham. We definitely need another homeless shelter. There's a wait list. If you were to be displaced and kicked out of your home, you would have a really hard time finding somewhere else to go. So we definitely not only need another shelter, um, the funding for um, mental health programs has also been cut. The Alliance for Behavioral Health provides a lot of that funding. And at the state level, their funds were cut. We also have to really get serious about transportation. Um, I worked for Go Triangle. I worked on the light rail project for two years. And as we reevaluate that project and see what went wrong, um, we also need to focus on um, our infrastructure as a whole. Um, NCDOT has a budget shortfall. And so our local DOT budget has actually been cut by 49%. And um, it's winter. We're going to have snowstorms. We're going to have ice storms. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to get those roads clean and cleared. And if it doesn't happen, people are going to wonder why. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether you take a bike or a bus or drive your car, you can't do any of that without roads. So you have to make sure that you fund that. 
<laughs> and also at the state level, we cannot be serious about growing as a state. We're the 10th fastest growing state. Yep. And we need to get more serious about funding non-highway projects. On average, we typically don't spend more than 10% on anything that's not roads and bridges. So we also at the state level really, really have to get serious. That was one of the main issues we ran into with the light rail here, here in Durham. And then since I'm, I'm focused on soil and water currently, want to continue that work regarding agriculture, the industrial hemp uh, market is booming. I definitely think that is the first step to legalizing marijuana and having a path for that. So not only do we need to stop um, we need to decriminalize um, mm-hmm. marijuana and we need mm-hmm. to legalize it. But we also need to make sure that black and brown people have access to this economic boom. It's going to be a multi-billion dollar industry. And we need to make sure that we're right there benefiting from that. Right. Um, in regards to public safety, a lot of public safety issues connect to your inability to find a job. Exactly. And this is an industry that is going to be really lucrative. And um, unfortunately, individuals with a record are pretty much cut out of the industry right now. So we We also have to fix our state laws so that if you did make a mistake in the past, you shouldn't be completely cut off from this opportunity um, and be punished, you know, for the rest of your life, you know, just because you made a you know, mistake in the past. So um, that's just kind of very, you know, a summary of a, of a lot of the, the issues that I would like to focus on. And I think another one to touch, to touch on would be housing. Um, a lot of it is a local issue, but at the state level, we can, um, remove barriers so that local governments can take more control regarding how they want to handle affordable housing in their own local community. So if you want to be serious about fighting gentrification, our local governments, sometimes their hands are tied and because of legal restrictions, they can't generate all the policies that they would like to, to really increase that affordable housing stock. But Ms. Murdoch, I don't mean to harm you. You sound like you know a lot. Thank I mean, you. <laughs> your categories, I, the questions I did have for you, you have mm-hmm. answered them. So, well, thank I, you. I like, I like you about your business. You know, you, you studied well. It seems like you critiqued everything you needed to do. And, you know, like talking about the transportation, I, yeah, I, I'm just with question marks. Because, like you say, we need it. Like we, we need it. We needed, and it was heartbreaking. I spent two years of my life working oh. on that project. Um, full disclosure, actually, one of my coworkers, what people don't read about is they're laid off, right? They, you know, when the funding is gone, you don't have a job any longer. And so, you know, they're my yes. colleagues. They, you know, no longer have work. And the jobs that we missed out on by building this infrastructure, we were already working with Durham Tech so that we would have training programs to train our local populations to take those jobs. And um, it's, it's really unfortunate for the region and particularly being a millennial, I think of future generations coming after me and how we've really set our region back by decades as a result of, you know, being unable to move forward with that with that project. So that's just one of the many reasons I'm, I'm running for state office, because the state is going to have to step up and get serious about funding infrastructure if we want to compete with these other um, prominent metro areas across the nation. Bravo. We often um, tell our listeners to be engaged, to do um, whatever they can, to just be informed about everything that's going on. Um, So we definitely appreciate you taking time out to come to speak with us about what you have in mind um, and what work you have been doing to improve our communities, um, especially for people of color and Black people, Black farmers, um, just in light of 
the environment because that's something that definitely impacts us um, silently, something you don't Mm -hmm. think about um, as you're interacting and moving about the world. Um, So thank you again for all the work that you have been doing and coming on the show to talk to us. Um, We'll be sure to include all of your information so our listeners can get into contact with you in our show notes um, and, you know, when we talk about this everywhere else. Um, But one more question I wanted to ask Mm -hmm. you was, you are just a great and powerful woman. Yes. Um, do your thing out here. How Thank you, you. How are you taking care of yourself at the end of the end of the day? Like, what kind of self practice, self care um, practices, and tips do you have for yourself? Yes. Full disclosure, I need to do a much better job of self care. So I appreciate the question. Yes. Um, I love kind of the viral movement we've seen around, you know, strong black women mm-hmm. and who takes care of the strong black woman who mm-hmm. checks on that strong friend. And so I, I think my biggest kind of self care tip is to just be honest about when you're not okay. I'm blessed to have had a really great group of friends, some yes. of which I have had since preschool. I actually oh, have a tribe oh. that I have known since I was 30. And um, I was having some issues with, you know, a family member in health and was able to reach out to them and just, you know, to talk with them and to get that support. And I think also people need to know when to just unplug. I think with social media, Uh you just want to be on all the time. And I think sometimes just stepping away from all of that. And um, for me, that is how I recharge. I'm more introverted than people know. So sometimes (laughs) just unwinding, you know, with with some Netflix or by reading a really good book that is kind of what I have to do just to to kind of regroup and and refocus so um that is that is what I do for self-care what I don't do anymore that I started off the year with is I would take a personal um day just for a massage or something like that Mm -hmm. at least once a month I have gotten away from that and in December I have booked that um one more tip that I gained from a mentor who is brilliant I've never heard this tip she went from one big very important job to another big important job she scheduled a vacation before she even started the new job because then you transition and then you don't take a break so full disclosure I have not had a real vacation since 2016 and that is why her mentor told her to do that because you'll just keep going 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 on Uh to the next project and never take you know a nice you know chunk of you know four to five days to to decompress so in March I have put that on the calendar and said after the primary I will be taking some time away (laughs) very good and can you remind everyone about when primaries are Yep. So the primary is March 3rd. Early voting will start in February. So yes, we just had a municipal election right here in Durham. Guess what? You got to turn around and vote again. Also, you will need an ID for the 2020 elections. If you happen to be a student at Central, your current ID you can use. um, But otherwise, you definitely do need to get get an ID. You can get a free ID from your local board of elections right here in Durham County. If you're in Durham, if you're in another county, um, reach out to the board of elections and ask them about that but March um, 3rd is when the primaries are in 2020 so since the presidential primaries are earlier all of us have to run a few months earlier and so literally just got off of a conference call about um, making sure everybody um, knows that those elections are coming up and don't think that you don't matter 
Um, one more plug, just imagine how different the world would be if people thought their vote mattered in 2016. So you can't be upset okay. if you don't go out and vote. And if you say your vote doesn't matter, imagine if you feel that way and 10 people feel that way and 100 people feel that way and a million people feel that way. That is what happened in 2016. Your vote does matter. Does. You need to get out and vote. Whatever your issue is, that should be why you vote. <laughs> Thank you so much, Natalie Murdoch. Thank you, Ms. Murdoch. Thank you. Anything else you want to share with the public? Yeah, just again, a plug. Um, vote March 3rd. My name is Natalie Murdoch, running for North Carolina State Senate, currently serve as your soil and water conservation district supervisor. Please learn more about me and my campaign at Natalie, N-A-T-A-L-I-E, 4-F-O-R-N-C-Senate.com. And we have so many important elections from president all the way down to county commissioner. So make sure that you are a part of the discussion, you're a part of the solution, and that you get out and vote and bring some friends with you. That's all. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. This has been great. I'm Angela. I'm Raja. We out.